Welcome to episode 214 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I landed my dream job when I was 30 years old, special events manager at an LGBT rights nonprofit. When I was job hunting at the time, I knew I wanted to manage multiple annual events for a mission-driven organization. It even said as much in my very earnest resume. Two years after getting this dream job, I felt like I was drowning under the weight of managing nearly 25 events a year of varying sizes and scope. I've always been good at keeping quite a bit of information organized in my head and did not create any systems that would support so many competing deadlines. A friend sat with me while I wrote down on a legal pad everything I could think of that was my responsibility. I kept writing and writing, filling pages and pages of that legal pad. Seeing all of that written down, it nearly broke me, but it also inspired me to do better, to be better. From that dark moment, I created a spreadsheet tracking system that enabled me to manage dozens of overlapping event timelines and other responsibilities. I arrived at this solution after lots of research about Covey's time management matrix and the concept of Gantt charts. It was a lifesaver, and I learned a lot about how I could better prioritize my time. In particular, I got into a habit of scanning for tasks that take two minutes or less and highlighting them so they can be ticked off whenever there is a free moment. This is my secret to how I manage to get so much done. I know I can get a lot accomplished in just five to 15 minutes of unexpected free time squeezed between back-to-back meetings by focusing on those smaller to-do items. The other day, a meeting was delayed 15 minutes. I crossed four things off my list. Your challenge this week, start putting an asterisk next to items on your to-do list that could be completed within two minutes. Have a few unexpected extra moments Scan your to-do list for these quick wins. Let that momentum carry you forward towards bigger tasks and bigger wins. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is an engineer by education and an entrepreneur by passion. She left corporate America to pursue her own business as a health coach, delivering the message of health through public speaking in various community centers and corporations. Her business took off after one of her books became an international Amazon bestseller in several categories. With a small email list and a very limited marketing budget, she was featured in major publications like the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, Forbes, and she was even invited to be a guest on ABC Arizona. Since then, her career took a detour as a publisher and a publicist, and so far, she's helped over 200 thought leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs to write their books, achieve bestseller status, and land in mainstream media. She has written and contributed to more than six books herself, is a TEDx speaker, and is the founder of a cutting-edge business consulting platform serving professionals who seek to reinvent themselves and leave a legacy. Please join me in welcoming Parul Argawal. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Robbie. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. 
Uh, wonderful Parul. So thank you so much for joining me from your office in Arizona. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? That's a wonderful question. So for me, leadership is all about bringing like-minded people together and working on something with a common vision and mission. Uh, For me, a leader is not somebody people are scared to ask questions. It's all about, you know, hey, yes, we are leading this project, but at the same time, we are all one. We all have our different skills. We all have our different capabilities and we are coming together to fulfill common goals and common um, vision of the project, be the company or whatever. And for me, honestly speaking, a good leader is somebody who actually teaches other people how to lead. Mm. Oh, I like that part. Yeah. Yes. And um, that has been the goal of my business also, uh, because I bring communities together and uh, um walk the walk you know people looking at me they learn how they can also lead you know a similar kind of projects the one i do and i have been very successful so to speak in also not just making followers but converting them to their own leaders and helping them build their own communities mm. um coming to your second question I think right from a very young age, even when I was in school, I knew I had these leadership qualities. Um, I was always leading my class, was the favorite student of my teachers, and they would always pick me up. I I did my basic education in India. So we always had this class uh, monitor, so to speak, you know, a a, a person who is leading the class and teacher's absence, making sure... um, uh, the class follows rules when the teachers are not there. The class is uh, not making too much noise, is silent, they're still working. And when I talk about a class in India, at least when I was growing up, uh, one class used to have 70 to 80 students. Wow. Uh, so um, if the teacher was absent, I was the person who was actually leading those 70 to 80 students and of my age group. They were my colleagues. They were my classmates. If not, nobody was, you know, younger to me. So um, leading them and making sure that the class rules are followed in teacher's absence uh, was something really big um, for me, even from a very young age. And every year, Uh, Right from, I would say, from kindergarten to high school, I was uh, representing my school, representing my class. So I knew early enough that I had those leadership qualities. That's so amazing. So did... Were you doing class monitoring even like... Like what what age or what year does that start? Uh, My memory goes back till uh, third grade. So right from third grade to 12th grade, I, I don't think we ever had monitors in second and first yeah, in kindergarten. Yeah. That's a bit <laughs> so, much. But yes. still eight, eight or nine years old, eight years old. And and so is this just like if the teacher had to step out for a minute or were they gone for longer periods of time? Because this is like fascinating. First of all, a huge, huge class size. 
I mean, exactly. I remember complaints when I was growing up when we hit 30. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's too many students per class. Either, you know, let's say uh, the teacher had to step out for um, either um, get some work done or have a, mo- a meeting, like a staff meeting, mm-hmm. or um, uh, those were the cases. But sometimes, let's say, uh, the teacher is absent because she cannot uh, really take uh, come to the school. Either it's raining too heavily or she's not sick. For whatever reason, the teacher is absent for the entire day. Of course, we had substitute teachers, but substitute teachers would only come for, uh, again, a limited period of time. So it would be either or. I mean, it could be for a short period of time or it could be for the entire day also. Wow. So what do you think people saw in you that made them think, you know, Peru, she's, she's got what she, you know, she can handle this. I mean, I think the fact that you were dealing with your peers makes it even harder. You know, it's like one it thing does. to direct people who like look up to you, but like your peers, ah, they're like, yeah, we know you. You're just a friend of ours, like goofing around. Right, right. I think um, uh, what teachers saw, I knew like I was very disciplined and uh, uh, very, um, uh, not not at all a rebellious kind of a student, uh, always disciplined, always very well-cultured, well-mannered. You know, that is what teachers saw. And I think that was something which reflected in my peers also because they knew that uh, this girl would not take anything less than uh, perfectionism, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Or uh, we cannot fool around with her. We cannot just say, hey, you are my friend, so let me, you know, do my way and not the teacher's way or something. So I, I think I was very, um, because I was very disciplined, everybody, even from a very young age, everybody would uh, respect that in me. I, all right. So I, I want to unpack this a little bit because I'm curious about these these skills you learned early on. I feel like there's a lot of nuance that we're missing in this conversation around how do you convey that to peers or anyone who's following you in a way that inspires them to want to listen to you. I mean, they could have just as easily, you know, made fun of you for being the teacher's pet or, you know, goody yes. two shoes or little Miss Perfect. I'm like, I don't know, maybe they did, but you still managed to get them to follow what you had to say. Right. Um, see, I went to a Catholic school, okay? And Catholic school, uh, we have very strict rules and principles, right? You know, it's, it's like written in our guide rules. And also, the advantage or the disadvantage, whatever you want to call it, it was an all-girls school. So there were no boys. So, you know, so girls are innately a little bit more disciplined compared to boys, considering they are coming from a Catholic school. But essentially, um, I was not just a leader, but I was also friends with everybody. And I think that was one of the major skills uh, that I still have. Um, I, uh, If somebody was misbehaving or um, not following the rules, I knew what was the issue with them. So I would actually, rather than um, putting them down, I would talk to them in person. I, I know like, you know, this is the issue. Let's sit down and talk. Maybe, you know, so that kind of people skills is innate in me like, right from childhood. So because, yes, they saw this leader and yeah, could be teacher's pet, but at the same time, they also saw a friend. And the way I would uh, tweak it would be like, hey, see, if we sit down, 
teacher is not here, focus on her work rather than chatting. You have all this time when you are back home to play (laughs) for that matter, right? So why do you want to get into mischief right now? So um, I think having that uh, friend relationship with my peers and almost all of them, I wouldn't say I was good friends with one percent of the class. Most Mostly it was with everybody. So that, that really helped. Wow. This, this feels very impressive that you managed to both be a leader and stay friends with people because I'm sure people could like have their reasons for not liking that either because, you know, you're requiring them to follow the rules. Maybe they wanted to be leading too, et cetera. Did this follow into after 12th grade? Did you go on to continue doing schooling? Absolutely. I had a little bit of a hiatus because after my high school, I went to um, uh, Bombay, which is uh, one of the biggest cities in India to pursue my engineering degree. Um, And it was a big um, cultural shock for me because I come from a small town, very disciplined, very cultured. Um, And then here I am in Bombay, everybody, you know, lives life at their own principles, really no rules. Uh, So it was essentially a big cultural shock for me, right? And um, then later on, and because of this cultural shock, so many changes, I kind of failed in my first year of engineering. And I had to, um, I had a year down, they call it a year down. So till the time I finished and passed all my subjects of first year of engineering, I couldn't move forward to the second year. So anyway, so I had a year down and that year I made sure all my subjects were cleared and then I moved on to second year. And in that first year, I was not confident at all. Not because also uh, lots of reasons, you know, coming from a small town, not fitting into this big city culture, coming from an all girls school, uh, Catholic uh, missionary school to now a co-educational college. So a lot of things were there, plus staying away from my family and parents for the first time. It was a big change for me and uh, it I re- didn't really do well and I failed. I had extremely, extremely low Um, self-confidence. But then I, when I um, passed all my subjects, I went into second year and uh, studied hard, slowly and steadily, the confidence started coming back. And then um, I would say in third year and fourth year um, in my college, where I did my engineering, uh, certain students of the college are picked by uh, the professors, by the principal, to essentially reach out to companies for placement. Uh, We have to reach out to all the companies that are hiring uh, fresh graduates, and we have to request these companies to come to our college to interview our students because, you know, our students are so amazing and offer them jobs and handsome salary. And this is sort of a student representative, student body, right? I think it's popular in all, even in colleges here in the US. And I ended up becoming uh, one of the, I think, I would say the president of that committee. I would think, uh, yes, I think I was the president. I'm forgetting. It's been so long. But yeah, I I was leading that committee, so to speak. Uh, um, So after that first two years of being really low in the confidence and not fitting in the society, not fitting in that new education system and the city, 
it took me almost two years or even three years to gain back all that confidence and, um, you know, um, impart my leadership skills, use my leadership skills again. And um, again, you know, I had the same uh, principle. Uh, now here I was helping people get jobs, right? So everybody was happy. <laughs> so they would listen because at the end of the day, I was helping them land a job, land a handsome salary right after college. I mean, who wouldn't respect that? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's really interesting to hear that you had this sort of dip in your confidence as you transitioned. It's not um, an unfamiliar story in some ways, like leaving um, the environment where you you know, were, were known, people were respected you, you had earned a lot of leadership status over those like, you know, years and years, nine years of like helping facilitate yes. things on behalf of teachers. And now suddenly you're like in a new environment, you're in, in a big city and, you know, surrounded by a lot of temptation that you didn't have growing up. Um, but then you got back on track. And even though it sounds like it was, seemed like a long time then, now you can imagine that two or three years is not that long. I mean, people get derailed for decades and you didn't get derailed for decades. You got back on and then you ended your, your undergrad career with a, running a leadership role that was really key to a lot of what the students were looking for. So it's like, you know, it, it seems like it really was in you. Um, but instead of like maybe early on, other people saw that in you, but here you had to find it for yourself. Does that seem right? I think that would seem right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did you know engineering was like, was that truly a passion or was that like a given? Like, did you like, were other people in your family engineers? Like, was this a passion of yours? Like why, why engineering? Oh, um, in eighties, when I grew up, everybody in India was an engineer or a doctor. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be the case. <laughs> and uh, not only that, I grew up in this town, which is actually known for housing the very first engineering college in the country. So not just my family, but everybody in my town is an engineer. So yeah. I mean, it's a given. <laughs> it was a given. Yeah, yes. yeah, right. But then at some point you started to, to lean into like softer, softer skills and, and talk about health and, and wellness and, and writing on these topics. Was that just because that was a passion of yours? It wasn't that you, it wasn't that you wanted a business around it. Like what, what inspired you to write your first book, I guess? So after my uh, graduate degree, I moved to US and then I actually ended up pursuing two master's degrees in engineering. So uh, material science and electrical engineering. So I, I mean, yes, uh, the engineering was a given, but I was also very uh, good at it. <laughs> mm. But uh, while I was working in the corporate and uh, also finishing my second master's, um, first and foremost, I was living this American dream of eating whatever I wanted to eat, you know, doing not really being so sporty and active. Plus, at the same time, my father, who lives in India, he also had a major heart attack. So a lot of things happened back then. And I thought, okay, because I I have the student kind of a mindset, right? I wanted to learn things. I would really go deep into things. And uh, um, that's why my TED Talk is all about engineering your passion. So I thought, okay, I want to learn more about health and wellness. And that was a topic which always excited me. And um, instead of joining a gym or a nutrition doctor, I thought I might as well go ahead and learn 
uh, about anatomy, about, you know, how our body works. And that's what I did. Um, so I ended up becoming a, a holistic health coach. And initially, um, the reason I got into health coaching was because um, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to help my family uh, live a better lifestyle. I wanted to help my dad. Uh, but um, I also thought, you know, with engineering, I do not have the potential of saving somebody's life. But with my holistic stuff, I could potentially save or make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, it's uh, a big difference. And that's what, yes, exactly. And that's what sort of motivated me to leave the corporate job and follow my career as an entrepreneur also because I come from an entrepreneurial background. You know, everybody in my family has a business of their own. So working for somebody was never something that excited me. Mm. <laughs> so Interesting. There were, yeah. yeah. So there were a lot of reasons and that's what took me onto this entrepreneurial path. And as you know, ever since I've was a child I had been a leader and now following somebody was <laughs> very difficult to learn. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting to have these two messages growing up about, you know, grow up and be an entrepreneur, grow, grow up and be an entrepreneur and also the message of grow up and be an engineer where they get these two strong messages that don't usually work well together. Like, you know, if, as a, if you're an engineer, you're working for somebody else probably like more, more often than not. Um, so really interesting. And also it feels though that you're, engineering minds is like what you put to use when you're trying to solve this problem around health. Like, it sounds like you set out to have a, you know, you probably created a curriculum for yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to learn these things. (laughs) Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think um, my favorite saying is you can take uh, engineering out of an engineer, but you cannot take uh, engineer out of an engineer, you know, something like that. So definitely that logical mind is always there, right? Uh, it's difficult to not live with that, especially because everybody in my family has that kind of a mindset. So um, I use that, but um, coming back to your previous question of how the book came out was... Uh, Um, I was doing these holistic health workshops and uh, events and stuff like that. But uh, I knew that I was not the best person to also do health kind of a coaching because I was still struggling with weight issues. I was still, you know, um, I had diplomas, but I didn't have a degree, so to speak. And I'm like, okay, you know, I know a lot of things, but I don't know certain things. But what I really knew well was juicing and how juicing helps us. And uh, that's what I started offering to people. And um, uh, because nutrition field is so vast, you know, one day coffee is good, the second day coffee is bad for you. So you really cannot know everything. So I'm like, okay, juicing is something that I'm really good at and I know. And um And that's how I came up with this idea of writing a book. Actually, I didn't even come up with this idea. I used to offer these workshops and people in the workshops would ask me for handouts or recipes that I could give them after the workshop. And I'm like, okay, you know, my task will write something for them. And when I started writing, I realized it ended up becoming a book. So I'm like, okay, you know, now I have this book, um, 150 pages. Now what next? So I'm like, okay, might as well publish it. And uh, I had no idea how to publish books. I had no idea how to market books. So 
I took lots of courses again because you cannot take the student out of me no matter what. So I took a lot of courses on publishing, on book marketing, uh, online businesses, um, you know, building a business, uh, courses like um, what you do with, uh, you know, no more bad Zoom. Of course, Zoom was not popular at that time, but similar programs where I could spread my message outside of my network and outside of my city. So I learned it and thankfully because of my engineering mind, I was able to understand the process and also decipher it and understand the algorithm to help me, you know, publish, launch, market my book. And that, so that was your first book, the juicing book. And then you've you've since contributed to or authored several more books. Clearly, writing books is something that gets you out there. Um you just described a challenge you had as you were shifting into this this world. You would investigate all these different things. At what point did you know you had a business though? Because like writing a book, publishing a book, you know, and actually having a business around it, like, did you did you sort of have that all mapped out or did you sort of feel your way through from now a book, now I'm trying to get my first client? Did you know what you were offering? You know, how did you know the path forward when you, you when it wasn't mapped I had out no for you. Idea, <laughs> you had no idea. That's honest. Yeah. And um, I, I never like planned stuff. So I'm like, okay, let's go with the flow. But the, the only thing is that whatever I do, I give my hundred posts and I'm truly, you know, passionate about it. So book essentially, uh, I would say, um, helped me in creating a new career. So when I wrote this first book and it became popular and I ended up on um, lots of portals and even the local news channel here, the ABC uh, network, uh, people started asking me how I did what I did because here this I, I was like not at all a famous person, just somebody who was doing stuff out of passion from her kitchen counter and overnight, I mean, it looked like an overnight success, but you know, and I know how much goes into that overnight success. So um, people started becoming curious of what I was doing and how I got my book ranked in so many categories without having a huge, huge network. And um, I just told people, hey, this is what I do. It's it's all about, you know, really having the right launch team and really having uh, uh the right strategy, putting the book correctly. It's all about algorithm of things, essentially, really. And people were amazed and they're like, oh, can you help me? Can you help me? I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll help you. And initially I thought it would be a fluke. It happened with me, but it couldn't happen with other books. But uh, eventually, you know, I started helping um, authors write, publish and market their books. And one after another, another, you know, they saw the same kind of success if you follow the same algorithm. And that's what gave way to my new career or what I've been doing as a publisher and a publicist. And um when I actually came to know this was a sustainable business, when I started earning more that I was putting into the business and when <laughs> I was actually getting people uh, even without marketing myself. So yeah. at this point, I am at a stage uh, just like you reached out. People just reach out to me through referrals, word of mouth. And uh, because I write for certain publications, you know, reading articles in certain publications. Yeah. Well, I just want to underscore this this uh, one thing you mentioned earlier around 
uh, building a launch team. So when I launched my podcast in 2016, I didn't build a pod, like a, a launch team per se. I mean, I had probably a handful of people that I was asking like to listen to it and and you know, sign up. And I, I knew I was trying to get in the new noteworthy. Like I knew something about that. But when my book came out a year later, I built a 330 some odd person launch team. It was huge. And everyone got personalized messages. I had this whole like system of doing that, so not through an email list. Um, and my goal, like when I was first writing a book, I just wanted to write a book. Like the book part was like hard enough for me. I wasn't thinking about the publishing at all. And then I thought, wait, if I'm doing all this work, I want it to actually be read by people. Exactly. <laughs> like, like somebody should read this. So I delayed my publication by six weeks. I had my book was ready because I wanted to build a launch. And so then I built this huge launch with a goal of having 100 reviews from Amazon on my launch day. And I met that goal. And then a week later, I had 150 reviews worldwide. And now it's well over 200. So um, it's been a few years. But I mean, just like the sheer effort to do that, like really... Like if you're going to create content, like anyone listening, like make sure people know about it. Make sure that you get the word out. Um, you know, you, 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 you kind of have to do your own press around it, I guess. <laughs> to get absolutely. Started. Absolutely. And that I'm so glad you bring this point up because uh, um, uh, being a publisher, being a publicist or uh, even into marketing, we can only do so much. You know, the, the efforts of author count the most because essentially your followers, your fans, the people who love you, like your content are always your first buyers. And if you can overcome that hesitation of promoting yourself and getting your message across, I think, as you mentioned, you know, later on, it becomes a little bit easier. But yes, you do have to put in those efforts initially. You know, one of the things I noticed was um, prior to uh, my my book coming out, I had been speaking for years at conferences and small events and such. And I didn't have an actual email list because it was something I was doing like on the side with my, yes. I was also had a job, right? So I finally leave my job to focus on my business. And so I dig up all these Excel spreadsheets. So what I was doing was I had people sign in on a piece of paper at the door. Sometimes 150 people would come to these events and I'd get like 120 of them to sign in. And then I would data enter myself, all their names into a spreadsheet so I can send them a malmerged, thank you for coming, here's a resource, please leave me a testimonial, and then I would collect all these testimonials. So I discovered I had all this information in Excel spreadsheets. And I wrote them all messages saying, like subject line was, do you remember croissants versus bagels? Now that was the title of my book, but it was also a, a topic, a, a technique that I discussed in my talk. And so all these people hit reply and it's those people who hadn't heard from me in five years. They saw me speak at some conference five years earlier. They were the first to buy my book and leave a review of like all the people I read. Like even my current colleagues, my best friends, my family, <laughs> they were the fastest to respond. And the thing I think, Perula, that I want to underscore here is the reason they were so fast to support me is because they had already been supported by my work. My work had already impacted yes. their life. Absolutely. So it wasn't theoretical about just being in, doing a nice thing for Robbie. It was like, no, 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 Robbie's stuff's actually good. We want people to know about it. I want to talk about it. I remember him from five years ago. So, you know, I think that, I don't know, if I hadn't had those lists, I would never have thought of them. But also, even having the list, I know some people would have hesitated. Like, it's been five years, so I reach out. Hey, if you had an impact on someone's life, 
they're going to remember you and they're going to be quicker to respond and support you than probably even your closest friends because your closest friends may not even be into business, books. True. All right. Yeah. Sometimes it's most difficult to actually ask our friends and family to buy our products, right? Because they are probably, my parents don't even understand what I do. So it's so difficult for me to ask them to get anything. Of course, they're always supportive. But you remind me so much about my myself, <laughs> because I used to do the same thing, go to these events, have the emails on a sheet of paper, come back home, enter all these emails manually. And I remember... On my launch day, when I came out with this first book, um, 2015, I think same time around when you launched your podcast, there were 800 people in my Facebook, 800 friends uh, uh, on Facebook. And I personally messaged all my Facebook followers requesting them to buy my book. And at that time, you know, because I was uh, not really into a business business, it was mostly people I knew, people who were my friends. But, and again, personal emailing all the people in my email list. It was not a big one at that time. But yes, it, those yeah. personal connection always helps. Well, let's actually shift to talking about like relationship building and networking then, because, you know, since 2015, you've developed a whole business, a whole brand, you've met a lot of people, you've written a lot of places, you've spoken, you're just, you're out there doing stuff, you're creating content, you're building partnerships. So, you know, in, in this space, there's the like close circle of friends you have, like pre probably are close still with people that you grew up with, that you're like telling them what to do in the classroom back in the day. <laughs> there's still probably a little bit in your life. And then there's like people that you just, maybe you see them once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago. And so they're not like close, close. They're like second and sort of third layers out. So what are your thoughts around how you nurture and sustain connections to that outer circle of people? Like, um, do you have any philosophies or habits or practices that helps you, you know, like I said, sustain some level of connection. So it's not completely out of the blue when you reach out to them to tell them something about what you're doing. Honestly speaking, I'm not really very good in maintaining those relationships on the long. And the reason being, um, I have two little kids and it gets very difficult to um, maintain um sort of a consistent um, network of people that you're reaching out to all the time, right? Because life takes over. But I always make sure uh, that if I'm connected with them on LinkedIn or email or Facebook or any of the social media platforms, I always make sure that I send them a personal message if they are connected on LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, I can send a voice message. If they are not, then they're, and if they are only connected on email, I could send a video call, but I always send them a personal message on their birthdays. Oh, yeah. And most of the time, it's not difficult to find the birthday date these days because of LinkedIn and Facebook, you know, even if I uh, have just met them at a conference, but we definitely connected on uh, LinkedIn or, or any other social media platform. So I make sure that... Um, um, I always reach out to them on their special days. And um, recently, because of this pandemic thing, I also make sure that I reach out to them, just um, asking them how they're doing, you know, even if it's a short message asking, hey, um, 
hope everything is going fine with you. Just wanted to reach out uh, and see how things were. Just as simple as that, I have realized it makes a whole lot of difference. How do people respond to these personal messages? Um, always very positive. I have never seen anybody, you know, not liking them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they are always and um and then most of the time out of the blues i would be surprised to know that uh, this person even though we have not spoken in 5 years has been following my work and you know watching what i do either through uh, social media or through the newsletters and stuff like that. And they like, you know, oh, um, um, we are so proud of you. You've done, done grown so much in the last few years. We saw your TED Talk. We read your article. So they always respond back. Oh, that's wonderful. It's true to say that like it doesn't have to be a big thing. You're recognizing a big moment in their life. Like, you know, that that's a highlight of, for them. And one of the things I've been trying to get into practice of, and you've already won up to me, so I'll, I'll give you credit on that. But I try to take the prompts, like usually the prompt comes from like, let's say Facebook tells you, I try to then send them a personal message, either a, p- a private message on Facebook or an email or a text if I have their phone number, because I try to make it as personal as possible as opposed to putting on their wall. I get yes. like a ton of messages on my wall, which is wonderful. And I could spend my entire birthday liking them and saying thank you, or I can go have a birthday. You know, I have a birthday coming up soon. So um, not, it'll have passed since you guys are listening to this. But it's like, I'm like, I could spend my entire day just doing that. And honestly, if my mother only wrote on my wall, I probably would think she forgot my birthday because a lot happens, right? But, if, but that's where it's like just taking that little extra step. And for you, you've gone one step further, which is to do a voice message or a video message via email. And that's just like totally stands out. I mean, that's, that's something that most people aren't trying to do. So I love the high touch. So it's, it's not frequent, but it's very high touch. Yes. Uh, I would love to be more frequent, but uh, hopefully, you know, once my three-year-old grows a little bit more <laughs> bigger and is not. I have, a two and a, half, <laughs> I have a two and a half and four and a half year old. So cruel. I'm, I'm but, with you on this. But you are amazing at organizing things. You know, you, you are such an inspiration. And also, you know, I believe a lot in communities. So I am, um, I do these community books uh, where I collaborate with authors, um, anywhere from 20 authors to 100, 150 authors. And we all work together towards a common, you know, theme. So one of the themes was, um, um, Three years back, I did a mom's book where 100 moms got together from different parts of the world. And we created a book on uh, the challenges faced by moms raising kids in today's era. And then um, uh, right now I'm doing growth hacking books. You know, I'm the publisher of growth hacking book series where we um, invite people from um, different fields of digital marketing, social media marketing, influencer marketing, entrepreneurs, you know, even C-suite executives, CEOs, and they share uh, their tools, strategies, or tips to grow in business or in life. Mm. And uh, when I create these books, I'm not just creating a book, I'm building a community because most of the authors are either connected to each other via WhatsApp or Facebook groups or, you know, the email lists. Not everybody is comfortable um, in a group setting. Some are more private people and they just want to be contacted via email, which we respect completely. But I have seen, but most of the people um, really want to build that network. So 
helping people and building that network and helping other people build that network has really helped me grow and also sort of, you know, pass it forward to the community. Yeah, it feels like in your own way, you're convening people because you're bringing them around this concept of a book. And usually I, you know, in the past, before the pandemic, I would ask people about like, were they likely to organize social gatherings when they were like either at home or when they were traveling? So now that we're not able to do that as easily, uh, if, if at all, um, have you thought about, or are you doing that online? Like, are you gathering these authors together and doing some sort of Zoom connection? Zoom is always there. Um, we are really strong on WhatsApp groups. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so of course, but we cannot see each other on WhatsApp groups. But um, uh, to celebrate, let's say, our book, um, two weeks back, we were trending on Twitter. We had a Twitter trend um, under the hashtag growth hacking book in India. And um, to celebrate that success, we met on Zoom. If we have to um, just, you know, get to know each other for the very first time, because um, I probably know everybody, but other authors do not know other authors like each other. So, uh, you know, get together. Uh, Most of the time we use Zoom as a platform. We really like that platform. And you are an expert at that. But somehow in some countries, I'm not sure if this is true. People are a little bit apprehensive using Zoom. So we have other tools also like Google Do's and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I'm agnostic. I love Zoom, but I'm agnostic about the tool. I'm more thinking about the idea of bringing people together in a a face-to-face, as in video face-to-face kind of way really strengthens those relationships. So I, I'm, I'm, this is my favorite sort of wrap-up question that I have here. So if we were reconnecting a year from now, and I have a feeling we're going to stay in touch, and I'll see you at one of my Fridays again. Uh, so if we're, if we're staying in touch, and I'm, I'm checking in a year from now, and I ask you, you know, what, what are you excited about that happened in the previous year? Like, what should we be celebrating? Um, what, is, what are the accomplishments that you want to be celebrating? What, what are you most looking forward to for the year ahead that, that at that point, I'm going to be like, hey, what are we celebrating? What happened this past year? What, what kind of coming up for you? That's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm truly hoping that um, all the authors that are there in the Growth Hacking Book 2, which is already available on the pre-order on Amazon, as a pre-order on Amazon, um, they are able to um, impart those leadership skills and networking and just take it forward because um, I see an entrepreneur in everybody. Even if you're working for somebody, you can definitely have a side hustle as they say. And uh, because each, each person also has some skills or unique skills that only that person has, and you could use those skills to create a business of your own. So one of those, um, it would be really great if all the authors in my book are able to use those entrepreneurial skills and create businesses for themselves. And secondly, we are really trying to reach into the USA Today bestseller list. So hopefully by the time we talk next time, we you will be talking to a USA Today bestselling author. Let's hope that, for the best. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. That would be amazing. I know that's not easy to do. So how can people find you and follow your work? Um, my website, parulagrawal.com. It's um, Paul with the R in center and Agrawal with L at the end, not Z. <laughs> so, and I'm everywhere on social media as author Parul. 
Great. Excellent. So I, I will put all those links in the show notes at onthschmooze.com as well as your links to your LinkedIn, your Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. It was lovely speaking with you. And uh, thank you for being such an inspiration as well. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Peru. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 214. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Are you a presenter who has realized it's not very reasonable to manage chat and all the tech while giving your online presentation to, say, 20 or more participants? I agree. It's a lot to manage. The organization hiring you to present should pay for your Zoom producer, someone who will manage the tech, moderate chat, and hopefully give guidance on how to increase engagement. At an in-person event, the organization would have hired the AV team, a videographer, photographer, paid for the venue and the catering, and and had staff even on-site to support you. You finding and training your own Zoom producer is a value add for your clients who likely know less than you about what is needed for this role. Would you like to learn more about how to work with a Zoom producer? Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. If I get enough interest, I'll host a special masterclass to help you decide when having a Zoom producer makes sense, what criteria to use for hiring, and how to find a professional to work with. And if you enjoyed this episode with Perul, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another town professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.